Welcome to Directionally Correct, a people analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Today's guest, Dr. Tyrone Smith. Well, they take the elevator you know, down to the parking garage, etc. Scott, I may make an executive call here. I'm probably going to get you to, to talk sparingly during this podcast because you're kind of buffering when you talk most of the time. Is that cool? Yeah, I, I was wondering about some dodgy internet here. This place is probably built in like 1650 and yeah. internet service to match it. The look at your face tells me it's happening right now. <laughs> no, right. no, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, you guys want to get started? <laughs> yeah, let's, just, let's do let's it. All right. Well, welcome to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Cole and Scott. And Scott is back. Scott, <laughs> where are you at, man? I am in Prague, Czechoslovakia. Just arrived uh, earlier today. Haven't seen much. I don't know if I should be here or not, but I am here. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're about 40% the way through the European adventure. Uh, and I'll tell you all about it uh, when I get back to Dallas and we do this uh, in person. But yeah. you know, who, today we have Tyrone Smith with us. Hey, Tyrone. Hey, Scott and Cole. Great to meet you. Glad to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Tyrone real fast. So Tyrone is currently the global head of people analytics and insights at Udemy. Um, He is also an adjunct professor at the uh, USC Bovard College Online Masters in Human Resource Management. Um, he comes to us by way of FAMU, HBCU land, which is great, uh, with an MBA from University of Houston and Victoria, as well as a doctorate from St. Thomas University. And I believe he's also studying IO psychology currently at Harvard. So pretty cool and credentialed background there, Tyrone. Impressive, impressive, my friend. And, uh, you know, Tyrone's, I won't call this a claim to fame, but he and I get lunch together sometimes because he's located in <laughs> Dallas and he's one of my favorite people. So Tyrone, I'm really glad you're here, man. Likewise. Glad to be a part of the discussion. Absolutely. Well, Tyrone, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, you, uh, we went through your background a little bit in, in kind of a high level detail, but anything about maybe either your work or academic history or even how you got into people analytics that it would be really good to share with the audience. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for asking. Um, when I think about, you know, my background collectively, it wasn't a linear path, you know, um, in my career, like to land me and people and what is in fact, you know, I started out in finance and accounting. Um, and it was during that time um, in my roles in finance and accounting, where I was working with business leaders. And when I think about, you know, doing the monthly financial closing process, showing that profit and losses to our leaders. When we did the annual cycle of headcount planning or talent planning, whatever organizations are using, I saw a potential opportunity there from the finance lens when I sat down with HR, as well as other people leaders on, as we're looking at the workforce from the lens and which we looked at and in my finance days was from a cost perspective, but I saw that there was more opportunity, and this was back in 2010, 2011, over a decade ago, where it was an opportunity there to pull the thread through on building the right 
workforce capabilities um, when talent planning and bringing in other factors as they're related to talent planning outside of you know a number of uh, costs or makeup and that was me working with our HR team at that time at the time it was IBM Watson Analytics which we started to implement to bring in some of the talent data as we started to plan an aspect and and seeing that gap I got hands-on with that and led that initiative um, at John Deere at the time and that's what always sparked my interest to like how do I is this a, even a career path to go and doing that stint um wait how, how are you how are you leveraging Watson in this space? So we started out looking at it first from the talent acquisition lens and probing in more on the diversity talent, bringing in that data um, and IBM Watson. Then we started to build an internal data warehouse um, at the time to bring in other factors as it related to the workforce um, and just outside of the financial planning aspect of things. And with that, it started to see help our leaders bring more of a holistic story as we started to think about uh, workforce planning capabilities. And in doing that, it wasn't no longer leaders looking at talent planning or headcount planning from a cost basis. It was also bringing in other dimensional factors around the talent space. And in that, I was always intrigued. I'm a people person. Humanity was always first started, uh, uh, was tapped by our CHRO at the time to, you know, help out recruiting efforts, which started to give me more exposure in the HR space. I didn't officially cross over, still within the finance and accounting function, but at that time, we had an initiative around building out more diverse talent in the finance function. Um, From that role that- Well, Tyrone, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Um, because you, you've touched on, a, on a, on a soft spot for me, which is the coupling of financial planning with workforce planning or talent planning, as you've called it. And many, many organizations struggle to cross that chasm between finance, looking at things just from a heads and cost perspective, and then workforce planning and HR looking at things from a talent skills, et cetera, perspective. How were you able to bridge that? Because if, if you're able to share that with our audience, I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably struggling with that. How were you able to do that? And, and what, what kind of unique lens do you bring to this, this type of problem? Yeah, so that's a great question. I would say, so in John Deere, uh, how the structure was, was by business unit. So at that time, I was in our ag and agriculture division and supporting one of our largest factories, which was the combine factory. And at that time, our HR team at the time, during the annual cycle of planning, you know, they they weren't really as hands-on in the planning cycle was primarily finance um, leading that discussion. But when I started to bring them in to that, that's really where that bridge helped. And naturally, HR business partners, you know, they may stray away from data or uh, lots of numbers, but it was me helping one work with that individual, getting them comfortable with the data and information, and also tapping or leaning on them to bring in additional input into the planning cycle outside of the financial piece that I was bringing. So I think 
it's a case-by-case basis. It started with one individual that spiraled up to having more broader discussions across our different business units at the corporate level, which started a bigger conversation on how we were looking at strategic workforce planning. How do you, like, perhaps Cole, Cole's probably positioned to answer this, like, how do you view the, the chasm that you just brought up, the, the gap between aligning the HR function, which is the biggest cost center in organizations with the actual business? Yeah, well, the way I put this, I think it, you know, a lot of times things start with data and different types of data being able to speak to one another. And one of the biggest challenges, and Tyrone can probably speak to this, is mapping a cost center hierarchy, which is kind of the basis of the financial organization to an organizational or a business unit or manager hierarchy that the HR team uses. And oftentimes those two don't speak to each other. And Mm -hmm. there is a, it depends on how big and how unstructured your organization is, but there can be a tremendous reconciliation process that goes into marrying those two things together. Tyrone, just judging by your body language, it seems like you've felt that pain before. Tell us a little bit about that. I chuckled there because literally I'm in the midst of doing that as we speak right now. Um, So uh, obviously, you know, I'm currently with uh, EdTech organization. We're hyper growth. And as as any um, startup, you know, it's the growing pains of fast growth, fast processes and technology starts to integrate into the place. So, in fact, I'm actually leading that right now. I feel that's inverse, where it should be finance driving it. But because of the knowledge base that I had, I'm taking the lead on it. Just, in fact, had a meeting last week with our finance leaders to align on that cost center structure of what that should look like from a cost center hierarchy basis. Because in the reality, what I was doing today was extracting things from the system, doing things in Google Sheets to manage the hierarchy when we have technologies and systems that's capable enough to manage it and maintenance it for us with the right structure. So... I often think between financial systems and people systems, having that strong line of communication on both lenses from both the systems teams and folks, but also the business folks who drive the conversations who are frontline with the leaders and what that looks like. It'll create more precision in your analytics as well as reporting where it's all speaking one language where we're all driving off the same tune in the end from finance to the HR function. Well, I, w- I want to get real specific here for a second, Tyrone. I know this is probably going to bore 90% of our audience, but I think for the 10% who it matters to, it's going to matter quite a bit. Do you have a magic formula for getting the two hierarchies to talk to one another? I know you said it should be finance-led, but you're leading it. Do you have a magic formula? Because if you do, gosh, you- you're doing something really well. Yeah, I wouldn't call it a magic formula, but I would say for one if one trying to establish that, I would say definitely understand how the business units align, who are the, the leads in those cost center structures, how does that trickle down at the function level, the executive level, and leveraging, in fact, I leverage what finance had to restructure what that should look like from the HR lens to ensure that what we're trying to build on the HR people systems analytics lens will work for what finance and accounting have set up from a cost center. There's other factors that one should consider around 
as you think about maybe potential activity around consolidation or M&A, how would that impact the structure or cause the structure to be detached? So those are all things that as I thought about in reinventing um, the structure that we have today to put those uh, pieces together and bring that prototype to the discussion, um, then have people soundbite and react from that, I think. But it, it's first starting with understanding one organizational structure layout, understanding what are your business units, what sometimes those business units are revenue generating versus non-revenue generating, what are the GNA units that rolls up to that. If one has a sound understanding of that, I think that'll help drive the conversation where attraction will be given to it. Revenue, shmevenue. Who cares about revenue? Goodness gracious. We're, we're just in HR, right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> especially, especially the startup, right? Or that, that's uh, exactly yeah. what you need. Absolutely. Well, Tyrone, I think we, I think we kind of got ahead of ourselves here, started peppering you with questions. Do you want to finish kind of how you got into people analytics? Sure, sure. So through that earlier stint, you know, I started to get exposure to a lot of the people data and HR activities. And during that next phase and role that I took in my career, wasn't directly in HR function. In fact, it was a another finance role, but within a global IT function. So this is where I pivoted from sitting in a finance function to moving into IT. And that role was a combination of leading IT strategy, robotic process automation, as well as building out an IT function um, uh, for GM Financial at that time. And even in that role, it was close interaction with our HR recruiting and analytics team as that, that um, function was being set up. So that gave me a lot of exposure to IT systems. I got an opportunity to even brush up more in a technical way um, on different technical acumen, um, SQL, R, Python, and understanding how systems integrate and work. Uh, was in that role. And at that time, I was also finishing up uh, my doctorate and dissertation. And um, shortly after, I would say six months after that, I then pivoted into the people function and first a role that was related to people analytics, workforce planning, people ops um, at that time. Smaller organization, having been in an organization that was 50,000 plus, but that gave me a different lens and perspective on the bill phase. And I would say through those roles, even from the IT finance role at GM Financial, I was first in the role. So this is also when I recognized I was a builder. Um, but the last role that I had at John Deere was a new function as well, which was in our internal control shared services team, where that was consolidating all that work that was done at our factories and business units and bringing it to more shared service format first in that role, then the first in the role that I had at Ryan, um, which was a new role to the organization. This is when I started to dig deeper into more of the analytics, people technology and system space, and currently in the role of at Udemy um, as their head of people analytics and insights. Well, let, let me rewind the clock just a little bit because you touched on another really hot topic and it sounds like you were somewhat ahead of the curve here, which is robotic process automation. And I think a lot of people analytics teams nowadays are being asked 
more and more, how are you able to automate kind of the, some of the non-value added tasks, not just of an analytics team, but even of the HR function itself. So can you talk about your experience in that space, maybe a little bit and, and how you see automate, like, and just, I, again, I don't even know if you have feelings about this, but how you see automation impacting the future of people analytics? Great question. I definitely see there's definitely going to be a revamp of efficiency that's going to happen in the world of people analytics. And actually, that was probably second to my role now, one of my favorite roles around RPA. And I think at that time, and this was in 2017, um, a lot of folks, you know, we knew what automation was from a traditional lens of automation, but our, as RPA started to accelerate and a lot of new technologies around that started to come to market, organizations started to take heat on that. How do you take mundane tasks and processes that could be done um, by a solution and shift the work of that to being more strategic? And I think I would say the opportunity there was identifying the type of work that needed to be shifted. We piloted the three things um, at the first. One was an IT function. The other one was in HR, as well as cybersecurity. When you think about the onboarding process and the systems that need to connect um, as an individual onboarded. And how I see that impacting people analytics as we think about the future is the manual touches of maybe some of the tactical or traditional work that maybe analytics functions should or should not be doing? How could you shift that to more of a technology-based solution that uses RPA, AI, machine learning to get quicker insights where the strategic work is more on the analysis, looking at those themes and insights that's coming out of the work and maybe, you know, doing a light touch of analysis via other statistical solutions via R or Python. Well, let me, let me wade into the deep end here real quick before we move off of automation. Um, Scott and I, the reason why I bring this up is because Scott and I covered uh, RPA and automation on a prior episode. And we had some folks in the audience reach out to us saying, uh, uh, because there was this article that came out a little while back talking about like, you know, the whole purpose of people analytics is to automate people's jobs away. And we kind of took issue with that. And I'm curious, from your experience in the automation space, was that the focus? Were you guys focused on automating people's jobs away? Or was it more about, you know, or what was it, what was it about? I don't want to lead the witness here at all. Right, right. Great question. The experience was definitely not about um, eliminating roles or automating jobs. I think from the organizational value lens, is it was more focused on how do you create more process excellence of efficiencies as you think about the world we're living in now we're constantly evolving we're constantly upskilling especially as digital technology starts to disrupt the market how do you ensure your talent is keeping the scale with that and maybe some traditional or tactical tasks that technology can now do how do you begin to start to shift that work to technology solutions that are on the market to do that, where that then individual is now doing more of the strategic piece of the work where before maybe they could have been doing 90% of 
the end-to-end work where the solution might be doing 30% of it and they're more focused on the other 70%, which is more of that strategic task um, of the work. So I think that was the focus there. And there was definitely an opportunity and area of change management as we went into that project. That was one of the things that we led with early on just to make sure that there wasn't that apprehension, as you mentioned, around, you know, as we think about automating tasks, what does that mean to me and my role? What does that mean to me and my job? I think once we cleared the gate there, that set that project up for success, but also it brought champions along and business functional leaders to want to be pilots of the things that we were doing as well in the space. Yeah, I, I think that automation is the future work. I think it's common. I think it uh, relates to personalization, et cetera. What, what do you guys think is the line that we cannot cross? I mean, because like at one point we could like be replicating biases in the famous like Amazon example, where they built a model that, you know, essentially just uh, uh, accentuated biases in human judgment. Where, where's the line that we can't cross in people analytics? That's a great question. Cool. I'll let you take that, and I think I can double that. <laughs> I love how you, you you kick it to me to, to answer the question. No, I think that's good. I um, and this actually sits well with uh, an article that I published this past week about the role of virtue in people analytics. And you know, a lot of people talk about just because we can doesn't mean that we should. And with great power comes great responsibility. But I, I think the line is, is that there is no line. It's what's doing yeah. what's right for your organization and what's right for your employees at the same time. And that probably means different things at, at different organizations. But a virtuous individual that's in charge of people analytics or a virtuous individual on the people analytics team should be able to take their own counsel and determine where that line is. I think there's a lot of talk nowadays about the role that governance plays and how governance can determine where that line is. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a moving target and I don't think that there's necessarily consensus about it. And therefore you have to use your best judgment and, you know, again, read the article if you're interested about what role virtue plays in making those type of decisions. I definitely agree around, um, that there's no line, but I going back to using that right sound judgment, trust, and transparency on what's being done with it. And also, you know, as we start to think about AI with this as well, you know, there's article studies out there that thinks about AI. If you're looking back at trends from past things that has predicated biases and organizations from the past, and you're leveraging those models to either correct the future, is that a right thing to do? Like, are you doing different scenarios to, you know, understand how to um, negate that biases? So I think it's using the sound judgment, but also understanding different ways to get to more of a sound decision. And um, going back to your question there, Scott, could you repeat it? I, I lost it as I was uh, <laughs> I, I probably lost it too. And I, I think you're right. There's there, there's also like a workflow that should take place. So you build mm -hmm. a model as best you can. You uh, over-represent, under-represented populations. So you make sure that uh, they're in the sample and they're being predicted correctly. And then you check it uh, periodically moving forward. But are there specific realms of IOS psych, uh, recruiting, uh, leadership development, uh, selection, yada, 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 that are most 
uh, the, the ripest targets for automation? That's a great thing. And I think there was an article that I was reading recently around the recruiting space automating, you know, which I wouldn't necessarily agree with because it's either AI or the technology is identifying individual ethnicities or even even sex based on the AI bot that can potentially bring bias in the recruiting process. So it's like, again, how is it being used for what process in the organization? Then what human judgment is looking at that to make the right decision to see and how to use it? So I think understanding one, how the technology is being used, but the other part of that is the human judgment to fairly assess that to see if that's the right action that should be taken based off of the insights from the technology. Sure, but here's, here's an alternative example which I think everyone would agree with is probably a good use of automation. I don't, I don't see any reason why a recruiter should ever have to schedule an interview again manually, right? Like, why are we not already using automation to, to kind of disrupt some of these really menial tasks that are being done? You know, so should an AI be determining, you know, should someone get a job without any human intervention? That's a much more loaded question, right? But should we, you know, be again, like scheduling an interview, you know, dealing with some of the kind of the back end processes behind, you know, the talent acquisition operations? These are so ripe for disruption with, you know, automation and those tasks. But maybe, maybe we switch gears here. Just, just a little bit. Tyrone, one of the things that I really admire about you that I wanted to share with the audience is just how, how many hats you end up wearing all at once. So you're not only pursuing a master's degree, but teaching in a different master's program and working full time. So how do you do that? <laughs> like, I don't know, like how, how do you manage all of that at once? And then maybe we can talk about each of those specific things that you're doing. Yeah, great question. So for me, it's all about work-life integration. I don't think there's ever balance um, in life, but it's all about how you integrate things into your day and your life and ensuring that your cup is not full. And this is where, you know, using that time to block out things that needs to get done, but also finding ways to integrate where things can fit, where it doesn't feel like an extra task or a job or a stressor to, um, to make you not want to do it. So I think I found that out probably in the last three to five years on how do I start practicing that in my own day-to-day um, activities, life around work. And uh, with that, I started to act and implement on that. So like for me, um, being in you know a lot of flexibility around my full-time you know, work, I'm passionate about what I do. It doesn't feel like a job because I love what I do. But outside of that, my nine to five, you know, being able to take on an additional uh, master's degree, um, that for me was self-fulfilling because that's the attribute of continuous learning that not only I'm able to apply to the work that I'm doing, but also um, being able to explore new things, learn new things, et cetera. And then the give back, which, you know, teaching for me is more giving back 
learning, being able to share what I know, but also learn from others do that. And that's fulfilling for me because that's another way of keeping up what's going on in the world, the industry, as well as um, just in general, the field. Well, I, I know that uh, Amazon's hiring. If you want like an eighth job, you know, I mean, feel free to apply, <laughs> you know, come on. If, if you want to work uh, the full 24 seven, I mean, just come on yeah. over. It's uh, about like, knowing like, that limit with the work-life integration. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you get to live a life that Cole and I have talked about frequently of like we're jealous of. So we get to go to PSYOP once a year and get like a download of information. Uh, but you not only get to like uh, wash in it uh, while uh, going to school, but you also get to teach it to other kids. Uh, what what are the students, what are they most curious about as far as people analytics? What, what kind of questions do they ask? Yeah, that's a great question. I was just having that um, from a lecture that I had the other day from a course that I'm teaching around anticipating the future of HR. And a lot of the things is around, you know, what is that next CHRO look like? What type of skills and attributes should they be bringing to that role? And, you know, in that discussion, there was a common theme that I heard, varied experience outside of the HR function, whether that's in the business, um, in other areas of, you know, industries and not just that silo career path but also another topic was the aptitude for data and understanding what the impact that that has on the organization as well as we think about the future where digital technology um disruption how to how are you keeping your organization uh, adjust to that and also your team and skills aptitude to that as this evolving door is continuously happening yeah, and, so I uh, think about that, like teaching, teaching in a in a master's program, and and when you think about these students, I'm sure there's there's variability in how much knowledge they have about a subject like people analytics when you when you come across that group. What is the thing that you, that students have the hardest time picking up on in people analytics that that you're trying to really kind of build that community or evangelize out there to that group of people? Mm. Great question. First, I think some, the reality is some folks didn't even know it was a field or even a career path to go into, or they had the notion of muddying people analytics with HRS and or reporting, which people analytics is much beyond that and further along yeah those are auxiliary foundational things that may feed people analytics information or data or technology that could be used in the process but it's beyond that is looking at that workplace behavior and intelligence and insights and how could organizational leaders take that information and action that to either inform people's strategy and programs um then there's different elements of people analytics. You know, you have that qualitative piece, which could be more around the UX research side around the piece, or you have the listening piece, which is more around employee sentiment, or you can get technical and more of the analysis and statistical piece, which is looking at different scenarios, predicting different models under helping them understand the breakout of the different type of things, one that could be done, but also 
understanding the entire employee life cycle from when an employee enters the workforce, from the minute the recruiter touched them as a conversation to the minute their exit survey kickoff, um, whether they're exiting the organization due to whatever readings, all of those are things in the end that an organization could take a snapshot of different attributes of data and how do you start to connect that back to the business? How do you start to connect that back to different um, programs and products in the business? How do you connect it back to revenue to provide organizational value? But also in turn, what value does that give to your employees around maybe bettering different total rewards programs based off of the insights or information we're getting in that feedback loop around the sentiment data and so on? You know, I've got a follow up here about something that you said, Tyrone, because uh, Scott and I have some content that's coming out in a few weeks with one of our colleagues, uh, Max Blumberg, who's based in London. And, and he kind of has an, he has an axe to grind on something that you said, which is that, you know, reporting and just dashboards and, and data itself is, is not people analytics and that people analytics can be so much more. So what, what is your perspective on that? And I guess, first of all, how did you come to that conclusion? Because so many people don't come to that conclusion. They really think that that's all people analytics is. How did you come to that conclusion? And what is the more or what is the strategic part that, that people analytics is more than? Yeah, definitely. I agree reporting is not analytics at all. I mean, we can request a report on, you know, number of exits or number of employees. That's all a report, but it's about what action is that taking? What information is are you doing with that to drive further insights where analytics start to come in at is looking at different varying factors that can help one, enrich that story, but also pull the thread on that story, utilizing information or data, maybe around learning or talent acquisition and pulling that together to see what might be some themes, why employees are leaving and not just looking at, okay, the amount of exits for a given month and understanding what leader that is. Okay, that tells one part of the story, but when you start to bring in other factors and begin to study those themes and behaviors and doing different scenarios, that drives that conversation further where you can really get to maybe the root cause of the why then start to tailor different programs and actions towards resolving. I, I think that you more or less outlined uh, a, a, I don't know, theory or segmentation that I've been mulling over in the back of my mind. Essentially, people analytics can fall into, you know, your data geeks, your uh, qualitative employees, your talkers, think about like your OD crowd, or, uh, you know, your leaders, people that, you know, mm -hmm. oversee entire functions. You know, considering that, it, it, of course, people can fall into any of these buckets and like cross over, but more or less people fall into one of these buckets. Considering that, you know, it's kind of like this like broad realm, what are, say, like the top, three to five skills that you would look for in an employee or try to teach students that want to get into PA? Hmm. Definitely someone that, you know, has the aptitude to understand the business, um, not just HR, but also 
other areas of business and how I work help influence or impact the organization as a whole. Um, definitely the ability to be able to storytell um, and take and synthesize information in a succinct way to tell a story. Um, having that intellectual curiosity on understanding the, the why, the more to dig and probe deeper to things and not just be uh, cut off at understanding you might pick up one thing, but understanding taking that deeper, that intellectual curiosity to, to probe and dig deeper. Um, definitely someone that has a strong partnership and knows how to build strong alliances and stakeholder champion. And it doesn't necessarily, even if someone is not technical, being open to the ability to learn different technical attributes around different things that the function is doing, I think that's gonna help elevate and develop them as they go along their journey. Because there's so many different, uh, even sub segments and people analytics you can tap into and it's becoming more as the function and industry is growing, but not being that, you know, journalist, but you might wanna specialize one day. Well, so let's pivot a little bit here, Tyrone. Because you mentioned that you're also pursuing a master's degree yourself, right? So first of all, Scott and I are both Iowa psychologists. I had always assumed when I met you that you were an Iowa psychologist as well. Apparently you weren't, but you decided to kind of come to the party, you know, uh, a little later than, than, than maybe some of these other folks. So wh- why did you pursue the master's? What, what's that been like? Do you actually feel like you've learned anything? <laughs> like, uh, tell, tell us about that experience. Yeah, definitely. So I think first off, one, you know, was to, I'm a continuous learner, and I think leading uh, analytics function, that when you think about anal- people analytics, is really the stem of HR in so many ways. So I've already, I had the technical background, but really wanted to take a deeper understanding and understand it from where the organizational psychology and influencer side of things. Um, In my undergrad, I did do a a minor in, you know, HR, but HR is really different to understand employee motivating factors and the psychological sciences piece around why people do what they do, but also how does that start to connect from an organizational perspective and and when I think about roles that I've been in from internal controls, the business process excellent, I had that mindset, but I wanted to dig deeper and further that mindset to understand it more in a succinct way. And I think going through the program, I'm a few classes away from completing, now it definitely helped enrich that, whereas like understanding the language, but not just doing the work, but also now being a specialist in the work as well. Because, you know, before, like you mentioned, I was in the field doing the work maybe of something that falls up under IO, but I wasn't in IO. But now being able to do the work and as well as have a, a now formal degree in the work makes a lot of sense as well as I often say it's like working for a leader that doesn't have a background is something you do. How could you learn from that leader? So for me, like, you know, I'm able to not only teach my team and others, but also learn as well. So there's a lot of wisdom in what you just shared there. And, you know, uh, preemptive congratulations on almost being finished with the program. I hope with having Harvard on your resume that you don't forget about Scott and I 
you know, when you're moving up in the world. But when you think about like what, what you're currently doing at Udemy, what, what probably what gets you most excited or are there any cool projects that you guys have going on over there that would be good or that you're comfortable sharing with our audience? Yeah, so we're in a build phase currently at Udemy. Um, Udemy, um, given that I'm the first in a row where we once recognize the value in people and insights and data, but also are, is trying to elevate that to a program across the function. So we're currently um, implementing a people analytics solution as, as we dig further, given that we are a learning company, some of the things that I'm looking to pioneer while there is, you know, cracking the code on the attribute of learning analytics. There's so much opportunity there to really understand that and also understand the value, you know, of your employees learning and upskilling what direct impact that does that have on the organization. So we're looking to do that. Then also for the other areas of our business analytics acumen to look at analytics across the business. What, uh, obviously there's lots of options for you to pursue at a, uh, you know, semi kind of startup sort of environment. What, what keeps you up at night? What, what, what really worries you? Um, this undefined charter of the future <laughs> work, I, we're definitely in a phase of the world is changing. That's the reality. What does that look like? It's unknown, but for me, it's like staying close at the forefront, understanding, doing my own independent research, reading from that, and what does that look like? And when I think of that, naturally, I'm a futuristic person alone. Like, even when I think about people analytics, this is something that I didn't know the term people analytics existed in 2010, but the work that I was doing and what I was being fueled by naturally fit with people in Lakes 10 years later, I'm actually doing that work. So when I think about areas around um, energy, um, environmental social governance, what does that social S aspect mean to organizations? How should they be, uh, you know, adjusting to that? Then other elements around how does it start to impact, you know, the workforce, the talent, you know, what are individuals looking for as they join or organizations and so on. Yeah, I really appreciate you calling that out, uh, Tyrone, because I'm actually tentatively working on an outline for an article I'm calling why the future of work is hard. And so I was wondering if anybody would even agree with that notion, but it sounds like you're kind of going through that on your own as well. So that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I really, I mean, this has been great, Tyrone. I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, Scott, and then, then Tyrone, any kind of closing thoughts for today's podcast? Yeah, this, uh, go for it, Scott. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, this has been a fantastic conversation. Uh, loved having you on. Hopefully my audio held up throughout this uh but uh can't wait to meet you in dallas when i get back there tyrone yeah and enjoy your time away as well um definitely i'm curious to get your thoughts too as you think about the future of people analytics and the 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 role of the chro as it relates to helping drive this area of people analytics and organizations what does that look like for the future and what type of 
you know, things that we should be looking at and doing or equipping that those leaders with. Tyrone, you can't just leave us with a big question yeah, like that, that, man. Oh. Now we have to dig in. We've got to dig into this. Two. Yeah. <laughs> on, man. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll have you on again, and we can we can kind of tackle tackle those kind of big questions because that's that's a really good question, and uh, I, I'm I tempted. Have thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about this, Scott? You, you give your thoughts while I kind of develop mine, and then maybe we can riff off this a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'll be very brief. There's a disconnect between what HR does and what the business does. Uh, they seem to be separate entities. And I would like to see in the future, HR take a more active role and show business outcomes as far as uh, our people analytics are concerned. Yeah, I'm kind of of two minds when it comes to this, because I think in the HR sphere, sometimes people take it as a slight when the business calls HR a support function, right? They say, no, we're, we're a strategic function. Now, where this kind of cuts both ways is if HR is a strategic function and actually getting out there in front of true business problems and helping bring talent solutions to those problems, HR is doing its job and it's going beyond being just a cost center and maybe even a profit center. However, <laughs> sometimes HR function is over in la la land talking about their <laughs> own things that only HR cares about and calling themselves strategic. And I think that is where the chief people officers of today and of the future kind of err with a, with a sense of caution. Like, okay, how, and, and the question I would really ask myself is if I'm a chief people officer, how would I know the difference? How would I know if I'm being that true strategic partner or support function or strategic function that I, I need to be? And mm -hmm. or how do I know if I'm off playing tiddlywinks all by myself? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Tyrone, what are your thoughts on that? Great, great perspective. Definitely uh, I concur with many of that. Definitely to elevate the function of HR. Definitely the leader needs to bring a more dimensional lens to look across the business. And I think analytics is one of those things that quickly get us there and just in full transparency and evolve and build from that. So definitely, um, but also have the aptitude to want to embrace analytics and drive that decision at the E-suite level amongst their peers so they see the value too. And it's not just going back to our conversation around reporting, pushing out reports and dashboards, but also driving down to the organizational impact and value that this brings. Or you see things like uh, chief uh, culture ambassador or this sort of thing where I'm, I'm sure people in the business just kind of like think like, oh, my God, like we need a like another chief HR analytics ambassador. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Lead the way, Tyrone. <laughs> well, and this really fits with kind of the thesis of the, the book I'm writing about, you know, HR needs a full teardown and rebuild with people analytics as the foundation. I think I think you've really hit it on it, Tyrone. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it's a chance to leave the audience wanting more because this, this, this end, you, you've really, you've really teased us a little bit here. So Tyrone, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you've, you've been listening to Directionally Correct, a People Analytics podcast with Colin Scott. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks, guys. Thanks.